Good morning, church. It's good to be here. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. So if you're visiting with us for the first time today, whether you're in person or online, our theme for the year is Jesus in Action. And so today we're going to examine the gospel narrative of Jesus calming the storm. Before we read, let me ask you this. Is it your experience as a follower of Jesus to be courageous? If so, have you thought about why? If not, have you thought about why not? Let me ask you another question. Is there anything you are afraid of? I'm not afraid of silence, at least on the stage. <laughs> but think about that for a minute. Think about what I'm asking you. Is there anything you are afraid of? In the narrative we're about to read, Jesus asked his disciples a similar question. He says, why are you so afraid? Is there anything on earth that we should be timid about? Should we lack confidence? Should we be cowardly? You know, there are times when I was cowardly, lacked confidence, and was timid. But the question is, should I be? Should we be? In the scriptures, did Jesus display timidity? In the scriptures, did Jesus have a lack of confidence? Did he behave Cowardly. If not, why not? Does Jesus expect his followers to experience the faith he had when he walked the earth? And if so, who or was or what was his belief in? You know, people are afraid of all sorts of things. Some people are afraid of being alone. Some people are afraid of dying. Some people are afraid to speak in front of other people. Some people are afraid to love someone. Some people are afraid to receive love from someone. Some people are afraid of standing up for what is right or speaking what is right. Some people are afraid to be true to who they really are. Some people are afraid of being rejected, leading, following. Some people are afraid of 
dare I say it, some people may be even afraid of success. So I ask you again, what are you afraid of? What are you timid about? What do you lack confidence in confronting? So as we examine this story, consider Jesus' questions in any current situation, you may find yourself being timid or afraid. And then let's consider Jesus' examples. Let's go ahead and read. Next slide, please. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. This is where we're going to be for today. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Jesus, or sorry, verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. So what are some of the observations as I read this story over and over? Well, one, it was evening time, late afternoon, but not night. And there seemed to be multiple boats. And so the questions I had, were all the disciples in the same boat? Were they split amongst the boats? We don't know that. But then it says a furious squall came. Now that's language you don't use every day. When's the last time you watched the news and the weather? And the weather guy said, we got a furious squall coming today. It would just be simple to say, hey, it's going to be a windy day today. Right? The ESV says a great windstorm. Now, this is just one of two stories in the Gospels where Jesus calms a storm. John 6, 15 through 21 is the other occasion in which Jesus does that. And so when you read this, this, this story, it can be natural to think that this was a thunderstorm. That the clouds were dark. That there was lightning. That there was rain and that there was wind. But that's not the case here. According to geographic resources, the weather pattern for this area strongly suggests it was just a wind but we also get clues from the text verse 39 says the wind died down verse 41 says even the wind and the waves obey him now you may say why, why are we talking about this because this is essential to the story 
See, as experienced fishermen, if this was a thunderstorm, they would have saw this coming. There's warning signs when a thunderstorm. I mean, can we testify to that today? When it's about to rain, you look outside, man, it's dark outside. I think it's going to rain today. What do you do? You grab an umbrella, you get your raincoat, you may get your rain boots. If you don't want your car to get wet, you put it in the garage. I mean, there's all types of things that we do. Y'all just blew past that. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> but there's all types of things that we do, warning signs that we look for. Which is, okay, we can prepare. But given the fact that there were no clouds, there was no thunder, there was no lightning, for this windstorm, it means it came out of nowhere. Metaphorically speaking, have you ever had a storm come upon your life with no warning signs? It just seemed like whatever is going on, this just came from nowhere. It gave you no time to prepare. And you find yourself in the middle of a storm. You know, as I repeatedly read this narrative, I began to sympathize with the disciples' reaction. Jesus, can you get up and help a brother? Do you see? That's the Mike London commentary. Just don't, that's, that's, that's mine. That's how, I, that's how I break this down. What happens next only adds desperation and a sense of urgency to the scene. It says that the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling up. The New American Standard Bible says it this way. The waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. There is a sense of urgency here. When we go through storms in our lives, there's a sense of urgency. I need help here. I'm starting to relate to the disciples. God, I'm going through something right here, and I need help. Let's do something. Let's get busy. You know, when storms come, they seem to be additive and multiplicative. The waves are breaking over the boat. The boat is filling up. And all of a sudden, the disciples look over and they see their master, the one that they have left family for. They see their master sleeping. You know, when you're going through something, <laughs> and you identify the people or the persons that can help you, the last thing you want to see is Okay, what are we doing here? What's, what's, what's this? I need help. I'm drowning, and you seem to just be sitting there. 
I'm telling you, I'm going somewhere with this guy. When they fix their eyes on Jesus, while they're dealing with the with the turbulence, what are they doing? I bet you, in my mind, the scripture doesn't say this, but the boat is filling up. I wonder what they're doing. Was there buckets? Were they trying to get the water out of the boat? I mean, they're working hard, and, they, and, and their efforts seem to be going nowhere. And on top of that, they are fighting against an invisible element. We can't see what it is, but we can see the damage that it's doing. But it says, but Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the pillow, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, don't, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, there's, a, there's an expression an old expression, probably from my generation, maybe even further back, I'm sure. But it says, Jesus, take the wheel. This is one of the moments. Jesus, I need you to take the wheel. I need you to get control of things here. There's another expression that says, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Jesus is literally sleeping. That's not a metaphor. He is literally sound asleep. You know, here's something I want us to consider. Hebrews 2.14 says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. You know what's, you know what's amazing about this when I look at this? Jesus shared in our humanity in one sense that he was subject to physics and gravity in human form just like you and me. Jesus was sleeping on the same boat that was rocking and filling up with water, and yet he sleeps, and they over there trying to get stuff going. That's okay. It's all right. Be cool. I didn't plan that. It just happens to come off. Maybe God wanted to get your attention for this point. But it's not like Jesus was floating and he didn't experience the turbulence. The difference is Jesus reacts differently to turbulence than his disciples did. We know that there were times where Jesus defied gravity. Case in point, and that's what we're going to look at a little later, when he walked on water. And by his same power, some of his disciples defied gravity. Jesus' actions during a sudden storm contrasted the disciples' actions. Disciples were working and fighting against the storm. Hebrews 12.2 says this. Next slide, please. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So what did Jesus want his disciples to see him doing? You know, a brother and I were talking about this story yesterday, and we found it interesting. Even in Jesus' sleep, he's setting an example. That's a bad boy. God, you know what I mean, not boy, literally, but in our current 
language and lingo, you a bad man. Jesus is setting an example why he flee. Well, what did he want them to see? The scripture says, fix our eyes on Jesus. Think about it. If the disciples for a second would have just stopped and looked at Jesus and said, he doesn't seem to be overly concerned. Is this something maybe we need to relax? I mean, if I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus and I'm watching what he's doing, he's sleeping during the storm. What should I walk away from that? What does Jesus want his disciples and would-be disciples of today to see from this man? Do you got a storm going on in your life right now? Are you panicking? Are you intimidated? Do you lack confidence? Or will you fix your eyes on Jesus who's like, I'm here. I'm here. What does he want them to see? I believe he wants them to see faith and trust in God, especially in things you have no control over. You cannot control wind and waves as a human being. That's outside of our capability, regardless of what your desire is. This is what Jesus was, was doing. Consider Psalm 25, verse 1. In you, Lord God, my God, I put my trust. Verse 15. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. I believe Jesus was able to sleep because this was his conviction. There's a storm going on. The boat is rocking. It's filling up and I got my boys yelling at me but you know what? I'm asleep though. Why? Because I put my trust in God. As the originator and perfecter of faith, and I'm, I'm wording this very carefully, what does Jesus expect from his disciples? Jesus being the originator and perfecter of faith is the standard, the measuring rod of what faith in God looks like in human form. What does Jesus expect from everyone who professes to be his follower? their faith in God and that's where their courage will come from. Jesus shows us what faith in God is and he expects us to imitate him. You know the word afraid in this text means it's not the same as terrified but it means to simply to lack confidence, to be timid, to be coward. And so there's two questions again that he asks. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The first question speaks to the idea that timidity, go to the next slide, that timidity is unwilling.
unwarranted and is not justified or authorized. Do you think about this for a second? There is a war story. Their lives are in peril. And the question that Jesus asks is, why are you afraid? That means their fear is not justified. You know, when you read the Bible, we got to pay special attention to what Jesus says, but we also got to pay attention to what he doesn't say. Notice he didn't say, I understand. He didn't say that. Their lives are in peril. They are frightened. He did not go, oh, I get that. I understand. See, me, I would be like, yeah, I get it. Because I know what it means to be afraid. I know what it means to be timid. I know what it means to lack confidence. But here's the thing. Now, this doesn't mean that things in life are not frightening. Oh, what are you saying, Mike? There's nothing in life that's frightening? No, that's not what I'm saying. But when one is in a relationship with Jesus, placing their faith in him, they have no reason to be intimidated, timid, or lack the confidence to face it. Well, this storm that I'm going through is frightening. But if I'm in a relationship with Jesus, there is no reason for me not to have courage if I place my trust in God and then I can face it. I want, not I, God wants us to experience that. He wants us to know fully that I can face anything as long as I got King Jesus with me. I don't have to be intimidated by nobody. And I won't be. That's to be experienced, guys. The second question speaks to what is essential to combating the timidity, which is faith in God. One must continue to nurture their faith in Christ. If not, one runs the risk of their faith deteriorating. Fear controls and paralyzes people. When faith gives them the courage to do what they need to do and what they should do. You know, I think about Daniel chapter 3, right? You remember where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? If you're familiar with the story. King Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue, his God. Understand, in the biblical world, guys, there wasn't really a question about a God. That was just normal. They knew that there was a God. Now, many worship gods that weren't gods at all. But it wasn't this question like in our day today. Well, is there really a God or not? I don't know. I don't think it is. No, in the biblical world, it was always... Oh, there's a God. There's somebody. And it was one of the reasons why the disciples were terrified after Jesus did what he did. Because in Jewish tradition, that type of power was only linked to a God. And so for them, when they saw him do that, it scared them. Because they had to think, I am in the presence of a God. And I don't, I don't really grasp that. 
because what this guy is doing is only done by God. That's amazing. But as we go back to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, he builds, King Nebuchadnezzar builds this, this idol God, calls, makes a declaration that everyone, when they hear the sound, that they have to bow down and worship this God. It gets back to King Nebuchadnezzar from his wise men, and they said, hey, there's three people in the camp that you were appointed, by the way, that does not bow down to your God. It gets back to him. King Nebuchadnezzar threatens them, and this is their reply. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. How could they be so courageous? First of all, when they got bound up, the three big strong dudes that bound them up, the fire was so hot that they died from the fire. How do you be courageous in such a frightening situation? Is it not your faith and trust in God? Here's the kicker, though. You say, well, it, it just happens to work out for them. But here's the thing. Their conviction was, even if it don't, we're not bound down to your God. See, faith gives you the courage to do what you need to do, even if it doesn't go according to how you desire it to. You put your faith and trust in God, and you go, hey, even if I die, I'm good. Think about what Jesus said. He says, don't fear the one that can take your life. Fear the one that can take your life and your soul. So even if your life is at peril, you cannot go, well, that's a justified reason to be not complacent in the situation. No, Jesus is like, even if you're about to die, you put your trust and confidence in him. Do you think Stephen, walking through biblical history here, do you think Stephen, when he stood up, and he preached that word in Acts chapter, was it, Acts chapter 7, I think it is? He laid that whole history out. And then they started to stone that dude. Was his faith weak? Did he not have courage? Because in the end, he died. He fell asleep. But what did you see Jesus doing? Standing up, or at least Peter did. Peter was filled with the Spirit by the Holy Spirit. He saw Jesus standing up at the right hand of Jesus. Normally, Jesus would sit down. But for Jesus to get up at the right hand of the majesty when Stephen is being stoned to death, my man. Because he's got his faith, his trust, and he was courageous to even face death for me and my man. This is the type of courage Jesus wants us to experience. felt what the disciples felt, but, and I wanted in my spirit, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word afraid. But the spirit was like, but that's what it is. 
What does it look like to fix our eyes on Jesus? Let's briefly examine the gospel account of the second storm. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14. We're almost done here, guys. Matthew chapter 14, verse 25. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. Wait a minute. Who would you think if you saw some dude walking on Lake Michigan? And he told you to take courage. In your mind, you go, this does not this ain't right in our reality. And so for the, maybe because it was late, maybe they were tired and they were thinking, you know what, it's a ghost. I don't, I don't know what I'm seeing here. But then the ghost spoke. When they heard it. Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Then he says this. We know he heard it because look at his reply. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on, on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Cried out, Lord, save me. Peter saw what the wind was doing. But what did he pay attention to? He started paying attention to the wind. First of all, you can't see wind. Now, you can see what the wind is doing. You can feel the wind, but you can't see it. He took his eyes off Jesus. What happens when you in this storm that you're going through in your life and you take your eyes off Jesus? Go to the next slide. Here's a little funny thing that I thought about in the water. Another one bites the dust. That's how I'm walking on water. Another one bites the dust. And another one gets right? and another one gets. Another one bites the dust. Hey, another one gets it too. Another one bites the dust. That's how I would have been. Or at least that's how I would think I would have been. If Jesus gave, if Jesus was, he decided to come in our day. In my time, my generation. And I was one of the calling disciples, which I am, by the way. Amen. I'm a calling disciple of Jesus. And he, he said, Mike, get out of that boat. I would have been Christopher Walken. He said, well, I would have thought. Once I figured out that I'm actually on the water and I'm not drowning, man, I'm dancing. I had another video. I was, I was doing Michael Jackson stuff. I would be like, you know. I would have been doing all type of stuff. You got me walking on water? I mean, moonwalking and everything. I would have been Chris Brown, all of them. I would have been doing all type of stuff. Stanking leg, the, the nay-nay. You know, I, I would have been doing all type of stuff. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. What confidence one would have to have 
to do that. Not in himself, but the one that actually called you to do it. You know, sometimes we gotta we gotta look at the storms in our lives as opportunities. As opportunities. Because of this windstorm, Peter had the opportunity to do something no other human being could do. Other than Jesus who was doing it. Think about what he was doing. What will God be able to do with you in the middle of a storm because you place your trust in him? God may be looking to have you do something extraordinary. That's not hype speech. Because your storm is your storm. It may not be replicated by somebody else's storm. But whatever you be able to do in your storm could be extraordinary. It doesn't have to look like what I do in my storm. It's your storm. But what God does, you know, I love TikTok. They got all these little videos. <laughs> but I don't know if you've seen this video with, with uh, what's his name? I think it's Joe Rogan or something. And then they, he's kind of he's taken back there. I think they're at some wrestling event. I wish I had it for you guys, and I'm not doing it justice. But they, he's at some wrestling event, and then all of a sudden the crowd goes crazy, and Joe Rogan is like, oh, my God. And there's this caption where it says, this is God's reaction when he sees you overcome your, your demons or he sees you overcome your trials. God is like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Well, Mike, you don't understand. I got this going on. I got this. I'm going through this. I don't feel like I can overcome this. But see, you're putting your trust and your faith, and you're trying to get your courage from yourself. But if you can get it from God, there's nothing you can't face. There's no reason for you to be intimidated by anything. You're talking to a guy who is still fighting depression and anxiety. I didn't sleep well last night. I was telling Ruben that this morning. I don't know. How you feeling there? I was like, I don't know. I didn't sleep well. I'm feeling like I'm buzzing. I'm, you know, it's a lot going on. He was like, well, you know, you did have a piece of chocolate cake yesterday. Maybe that was it, you know. <laughs> Case in point, sugar does add anxiety. I'm just trying to tell you. But nonetheless, when you when you suffer from anxiety, even if you know what set it off, you're just like, man, I'm anxious. But there's nothing that I can't face. So what about you? Do you like the confidence to open up your heart to somebody because you've been hurt before? I'm not minimizing the difficulty in doing that. I'm saying what Jesus is saying, why are you so afraid? If you put your trust and confidence in me, why are you so afraid to open up your heart, even after being hurt, to someone else? But what did Jesus do? He spent years of his life crying, sending a petition to God. Why? Because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. If someone is going to break your heart, they're going to do it no matter what you do. But don't allow that not to have you become the loving person God wants you to become. God will deal with that person who mistakes your heart, who treats your love bad, who rejects it. God is like, don't worry about that. Stay in your lane. Be like Jesus. I will deal with that. 
I'm afraid to come back. I'm afraid to what people, they, they, they may think of me. Don't worry about that. They're going to judge me. storm may be, Jesus expects us to face it with courage because our faith and trust is in him. Let's close out last slide. I'm, I'm wrapping it up here, guys. So what is the takeaway? Put the next slide, please. Thank you. One, aim for your faith in God to be like the originator and perfecter of faith. I'm not saying we can't admire the faith of our brothers and sisters, but your brother and sister is not the originator and perfecter of what faith is. Aim for your faith to be that of Jesus. He's the standard. He's the measuring rod of what faith looks like. Let that be your aim. Shoot for that. You know, when you're aiming at something, it's your focal point. You, you got all eyes centered on what you're trying to hear. You gotta, you gotta tune out the distractions. You gotta put them to the side. You gotta go, I'm trying to, I gotta focus here. I'm trying to hit this target. And if Jesus is the aim or the originator perfection of our faith, we gotta keep our eyes focused on Jesus. You gotta get rid of the distractions, whatever they may be. Number two, timidity is unauthorized and will not be justified. When one is with Jesus. Now, if you ain't with Jesus, here's where my sympathy comes in. I totally understand why you lack the courage to face it. I get it. Because you don't have the everlasting power of God. But what does it mean to fix our eyes on Jesus today? What did it mean for them when the Hebrew writer wrote it to them? It's not like Jesus was there. He had already risen from the dead and been gone. So when they say, fix your eyes on Jesus, what does that mean? Here's an example that I think about. Remember, remember Jehoshaphat? Remember when the seven armies were coming against him? Literally, their backs were against the wall. I think their backs were against the water. They had nowhere to go. They had seven armies coming at them. The people were afraid. It was like, oh, we don't know. What are we going to do? You know what Jehoshaphat did? He took a moment. He prayed. And I, I, I beg you to go back and read his prayer. I think, it, I think it's in 2 Chronicles 10. But he, he lists all the things that he couldn't bring to his mind, what God had done. And at the end of that prayer, you know what he said? We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, a good place to start is what God has already done. In biblical history, another good place to, after that is to look at what God has done in your own history. So even if you don't know what to do, the confidence, the courage will come because you're fixing your eyes on the God who has already done things. And you can say, hey, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to look to you. Look to what God has already done, not only in biblical history, but in your own. 
God didn't stop working after the pages were written. God done stuff in your, in your life that's not on the pages that you're reading or the phones that you're scrolling. He's doing things in your life. You just got to recall that. Number three, faith in Christ breeds the courage to face the expected and the unexpected. And then lastly, refrain from accusing God because his reaction to a situation is not yours. See, the disciples mistook Jesus' trust in God to be apathy. You know how we know that? What did he say? What did they say? Lord, don't you care if we drown? But he was sleeping. His trust was in God. So you took his sleeping and his trust in God to think that he didn't care. Why? Because he wasn't around the boat with buckets trying to get water out the boat just like, like y'all was doing. Jesus went up there all the hard work of sweating and, and rowing and getting water out the boat. All he did was this. Quiet. Be still. Not a bucket, not an oar, not a nothing in his hand. By the way, if you're not convinced that Jesus is God, this is a pretext for that. Compare that to the Genesis account when God spoke things into existence. Here it is, Jesus being the agent of creation, spoke and said, wait, be still, die down. Only a God could do that. So if you have trouble with that, that's one you could just reconcile with that and leave your mind alone. Guys, I hope this story helps breathe the courage and the confidence in God. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your scriptures. Father, we want to experience the faith of Jesus, the, the author and the perfecter of faith. He is the one that laid the groundwork. And it's so amazing, God, even when he is sleeping, you set an example for us to follow. Father, you desire for us not to be intimidated by anything as long as we are in a relationship with you. And why should we? Because you are the God of everything. You are the God who controls. You are the God who is almighty. The king of kings, the alpha, the omega, the, the wonderful, the lion. And God, you are everything and you love us too. As we take this time to drink the cup and break the bread, let us remember who King Jesus is. Let us look to him as the example, the measuring rod of who we are to be. And we rejoice in that. Help us to experience the courage that can come from faith in you to face anything in this life. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.